So if I, uh, if I haven't met you, yes, my name is Connor Davey. Uh, my wife and I have been members here for about four years. Um, I have graduated three years ago, which is nuts. Um, and yeah, I sell cereal to Walmart for a living. It's a, it's a fun job. Some of you might know my brother Parker, who is right here. Parker is kind of like um, the Nick Jonas of our family. And I'm kind of like the fourth Jonas brother, Frankie. And I can't really complain because I'm a Jonas brother, you know what I'm saying? But I recognize, like, I'm not, I'm not Nick Jonas. Cool. Uh, my wife is also much cooler than me. She's right there. Um, she's also terrifyingly kind. Like, it's really scary. So you should go talk to her and meet her afterward. She's much nicer than me. Okay. Come say hey to us if we haven't met you. What we're continuing to talk about today, getting serious, everybody gets serious, is the nature of truth and the nature of lies. So this is a discussion of like cosmic proportions, right? This is about the nature of God and the nature of the devil. Um, what we're trying to identify is the schemes of the devil, how he bends truth just enough um, that we actually believe him, and then we fall into disobedience. So we're going through eight lies that sound like truth. Trey covered the first two last week. Does anybody remember what those two were? What one of those was? Yes. So God just is the key word, wants you to be happy. Um, and then there was one more. Hint, Drake. Yes, you only live once. I don't know who said that. Um, yep, because Yolt is not as catchy. Um, today we're going to talk about two more lies. One, you need to live your truth, and two, your feelings are reality, okay? So these are lies about God that sound like truth, uh, and, and in them there's usually a kernel of truth, and that's how Satan likes to work, right, is he bends truth just enough. Um, so we're going to work, I'm going to work kind of moving in. So initially I'm going to talk about how kind of the non-believing culture believes these lies, uh, and then we're going to move into how we personally, within the gospel-believing church, believe these lies. Um, I think it's important to do that because it's very easy to laugh at people um, on the outside at how they believe these type of lies uh, and kind of shake our head and point our fingers. But it, it's much harder when you realize that the church and many of us believe these lies in smaller ways or in different ways. Um, and we fall prey to the same lines of thinking. Uh, we are guilty just as the non-believing world is guilty. The difference is we have the ability to recognize when we believe these and we have the antidote right, which is Christ. So we're going to talk about them, or those on the outside, and then us, uh, which by us I mean gospel-believing Christians. So first let's talk about what truth is. What is truth? Cool. Uh, so truth is the singular one correct way to think about something, right, whether that's morals or mathematics. So two plus two equals four. <clears throat> that's true. I was a math minor, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, in the same way, morally, greed is truthfully wrong, right? It's not truthfully right. How do we discern truth? I think with regard to morals, uh, most Americans at least go based on kind of their feelings and then the culture's feelings at large. That's how people like determine what is morally right, what's morally wrong. Many times this is okay, right? So for example, uh, the culture at large rejects pedophilia. That's a really good thing because pedophilia is really bad. 
Um, however, this can quickly go wrong. So culture is not the ultimate standard of truth. In Nazi German culture, it was culturally okay to dehumanize Jews, right? Which is not, not right. It was objectively wrong. So we kind of need something more sure than our feelings and more sure than the culture's feelings to base truth on. Uh, and if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you probably agree with me up until now. So you, you can recognize that your feelings and the culture's feelings are not necessarily the best ways to recognize truth. Um, you can't always trust yourself or the culture. However, here's where you may disagree. I'm going to suggest that God has actually instituted morality uh, and has told us what is right and wrong. He gets to dictate what truth is, regardless of how we feel. And I believe he has done this. He's condescended to speak to us in his word, the Bible. So the Bible testifies about this, uh, or it testifies this about itself as the source of truth all over the place. So could somebody volunteer, could I have a few volunteers to look up some verses? John 17, 17, who wants to look that one up? Thanks, Gideon. Y'all are engaged this morning. Let's go. Um, Psalm 119, 160. Who can do that one? Thanks, Lily. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 7. Thank you, Noah. And 2 Timothy 3, 17. Thank you. Okay, let's go through these verses and just hear how the word testifies that it is truth. So John 17, 17, Jesus is praying in this, in this verse. And what does he say? Gideon. So he's praying for his disciples and he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Great. Psalm 119, 160. Nice. The sum of his word is truth. Every one of his righteous rules endures forever. Isaiah 40, verse 7. Oh, dang. I must have... Uh, let, me look, <laughs> let me look that up real quick. I think I cut off too soon. Yeah, read verse 8. Boom. Not verse 7. Don't read verse 7. Um, yes, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 2 Timothy 3.17. Is that 2 Timothy 3.17? 3.16 and 17. My bad. Yep, and I meant to do 16 too, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Sorry, guys. I've Wow. Um, so the Bible claims itself as truth, right? Because the Bible claims to be directly breathed out by God, who is truth himself. Uh, and a lot of us don't recognize this connection between God's character and the character of his word. So there's no mixture of error in God's character. Therefore, there's no mixture of error in his words. Um, his word and the perfection of it is directly attached to his character and his own perfection. So if he is perfect, his word is perfect. Something that didn't hit me for a long time. 
So let's get into our first slide. Uh, you need to live your truth. So let's first, again, we're going to talk about how the non-believing world believes this and kind of move in to how we uh, as a church believe this. So um, I think the easiest way that we can point out this lie taking hold in the culture is with something like the LGBT culture that is, that is caught on. So if you're born a woman but you really think you're a man, you should be able to live your truth, right? Uh, if you're a man and you're really attracted to other men, who is to tell you that you shouldn't live your own truth? The world is captivated by this idea of living your truth. Um, and I think in an ABF, but I could be wrong, uh, John Henderson's ABF, he mentioned that the world is even okay with Christianity so long as it's our truth, right? And it, we don't put it on anybody else as the truth. Um, what's the problem here? The problem here is we've already established is that there is one truth. Truth is not relative. There isn't one truth for one culture and one truth for another culture. There's one truth, period. Uh, and really, deep down, nobody believes uh, that truth is relative. So they might say that one thing is okay for one person and not okay for another, but they do believe in some moral absolutes. So let's take a very extreme example. Okay, this is extreme. Throwing a toddler off the Empire State Building. Thank you, my wife, for laughing at that. Is this act always morally wrong? I think anybody in their right mind would be like, yeah, it is wrong to throw a baby off a building. It doesn't matter what culture you were raised in or how bad your parents were or what that toddler did to you or what state of mind you were in. It is objectively wrong to throw that baby off that building. Why? Because objective truth exists and somebody higher than humanity has instituted it, right? Um, so for our example this morning, the Bible clearly claims in both the Old Testament and the New that homosexuality is sinful, it's plain as day, you can't get around it, um, yet the culture wants you to believe that it's fine. And we feel that pull, don't we? Do you guys feel that pull? I mean, the sinful side of me is like, that's love. I mean, who am I to tell them that they can't do that? And in some way, um, me questioning that is true. I'm in no position personally to tell them that, but God is in the position, uh, and he has declared it wrong, and therefore, no matter how anybody feels, it is wrong. So if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I wonder if this sounds really harsh, because I can imagine that it sounds very harsh. Why can't we just leave well-intentioned people alone, uh, especially in the LGBT community? These people aren't necessarily hurting anybody, um, right? Well, you might, you might be correct about uh, them not hurting anybody else, but at the very least, they're selling themselves extremely short and hurting themselves. Let me tell you why. Truth exists, and not only does truth exist, it's actually much better than anything that anybody could conjure up for themselves. So whatever happiness you think you've achieved by defining your own truth, uh, I promise you that the real truth, the truth of the gospel, is wonderfully better. Um, so the truth is this. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You and I are born hating truth because it calls us out on this sin. That's what truth does. It exposes sin. It exposes us for living contrary to the truth, and our sin separates us from God, who is himself truth. So our sin puts an infinite expanse between us, the liars, and God, the truth. Uh, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, sent his only son, truth incarnate, in human form, to save us. We hated him because we hate all truth that calls us out on our sin, and so we killed him. We had truth incarnate in front of us, and our first inclination was to kill it because we wanted to get back to living our own truth. That's how much we hate truth as sinners. 
What we didn't expect was God was gloriously orchestrating this entire thing. So we thought we were getting rid of Jesus, but at the moment that we thought he was defeated when he died, he was victorious. He took the wrath of God that we deserve on him that day on the cross. And all he asks is that we repent, turn away from our sins, and trust in him for forgiveness. It's a free gift. Why would you settle for anything less than that truth? That is the best thing that anybody has ever heard. Reconciled to a holy God despite our sin for free. And the best part is that it's not a fairy tale. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's the truth. But the truth is, that's a pun. It's hard to believe that when we have sins that we hold on dearly to. Um, So someone who knows this exact situation, going back to kind of the LGBT thing very well, is a talented uh, lady named Jackie Hill Perry, who you may know that name. Jackie was comfortably living her truth um, as a lesbian woman in a sinful relationship with another woman. Then she heard the real truth of the gospel and the truth set her free. Here's what she said recently, she tweeted this recently about the perceived harshness of real truth. So it might sound harsh, but here's what somebody who's lived this has tweeted about it. Since God is holy and utterly good by nature, even his harshest commands are worth your obedience. Or to say it another way, if God is as good as he says he is, every single command is good for you, even if it doesn't feel good to you. So why bother with real truth? Because going back, it's so much better than the lies that we make up um, to be okay with our sin. Even when we don't understand it, it's better than what we could come up with. Um, so now let's, let's move in. So, Oh, yeah. Um, let's move in. So I've offended anybody here who's not a, a Christian. Now let me just offend all the Christians in the room. Um, we'll just talk about how the church has started to, to believe these lies as well. I think one way that we start to believe these lies is if there's a sin that we're hiding and we don't really want to fight it, right? You need to live your truth. When we're confronted with truth about our sin being evil, um, we don't like it. Whether it's lust or gossip or greed or arrogance, when we're confronted about our sin biblically or by a friend who is using the Bible, we immediately get defensive. So we start doing these like mental gymnastics to... uh, to defend our sin. So we see scripture that speaks directly against like greed, for example, and we go, well, it doesn't really apply to me. Like I tithe, you know what I'm saying? Um, Mine is less serious than this, right? I'm improving and that's all that matters. I've confessed this to God. Why would I involve somebody else? So for an example, there is this person in my family who is 100% crazy, certified crazy. And she was dating a guy who was like 98% crazy, which is a really good deal for her because she's 100% crazy. So I asked this dude one time what he did for work, and he said, I am a businessman. And I was like, okay, so something very illegal. Got it. Um, So this person in my family always believed that she's a Christian. Uh, And uh, she knew that sexual immorality was... Not something that Christians should walk the line with, right? Paul says to flee from sexual morality. Um, yet she and this guy that she were dating uh, were, were sleeping together. Her justification was she really felt like God was okay with it for her. Um, she knew the Bible said it was wrong for everyone else, but not for her. Out of all recorded history, she was the one exception to the Bible's rule. Which is sad, right? But we do the exact same thing. 
Um, when we have a sin that we don't want to give up, we do all these mental gymnastics to keep doing it. Perfect tens on the floor. What's a good, like, I don't know, gymnastics move? Double back twist, McFlip. <laughs> yeah, a McTwist is a crazy gymnastics move. Um, so, yeah, and then McFlurry, I mean, we don't even want to go there. Um, so, yeah, we do all these mental gymnastics to hide our sin, to keep it hidden. Uh, brothers and sisters, the devil wants you to read the truth of, in the word of God about your sin and do this exact thing rather than take God at face value and fully repent of your sin. I think one thing that's encouraging in this conversation is that since we're all sinners, we're all going to come across a passage of Scripture that directly confronts us about sin because we're all sinners. The truth is I'm commanded not to be greedy, right? Scripture says that. The sinner in me is horribly offended by that. I don't like that at all. It's my life, and I should be able to hoard money if I want, right? Guys, I think this is kind of part of the beauty of the local church, um, that God has established in confessing sin to one another. So when we confess sin, recognize basically what you're saying is, uh, hey, I'm not living in step with the truth. I'm trying to live my truth. Um, and you're asking somebody to keep you uh, accountable or pray for you, um, and uh, to, to live in the truth. So our reaction when someone confesses to us should be one of thankfulness, um, that this brother or sister wants to walk in the light and in line with the truth. So let me encourage you, if you're a Christian here, and you know you're hiding sin this morning, uh, confess it to God, confess it to a brother or sister in the church, come back to Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. Find forgiveness for your sins and grace to help you fight them. Okay, let's move on to the second lie. Your feelings are reality. Your feelings are reality. So again, I'm going to kind of move in. So we're going to talk about the culture, and then I'm going to move in and talk about the church. First, let me start this section by saying that God gave us emotions, and emotions are very good things. It is good to feel things, to be happy, to be sad. Okay, to be hungry, yum. Um... So what this section isn't saying is facts don't care about your feelings. That's a very like, popular thing that political people say. And it's true to a degree. Facts don't care about your feelings. But fact-tellers should care about your feelings, right? Facts might not care, but people who tell facts should care because feelings matter to God. He didn't create you to be a robot. Okay. The problem is, at the fall, feelings got twisted, just like everything else. Um, so we used to feel things that were accurate and right, and then the fall happened, and now we feel things that are wrong. Uh, we can feel things that just aren't true at all. Our perceptions and how we feel about reality don't dictate reality itself. So I'm going to put forth that this should do a few things. I think this should terrify you if you're not a Christian, that your feelings aren't reality. And I think it should immensely comfort you if you're a Christian. So those are kind of the two things we're going to walk through. If you're non-Christian, I think this should scare you that your feelings aren't reality. If you're a Christian, I think you should be very comforted that your feelings aren't reality. So if you're not a Christian here, this should scare you. Why? Because I'm sure uh, there have been times that you've been absolutely certain about something and you were wrong. And you could be absolutely certain that Christianity is false and you could be wrong. You could be totally convinced and be wrong. Ask yourself, have I been certain about something before that I was wrong about? The chances are probably yeah. Recently, GameStop stock skyrocketed after some internet hooligans realized they could band together and just kind of make it happen. Um, 
there were folks shorting GameStop, which basically they were, they were certain it was going to go down. And based on just business fundamentals, yes, it should go down. Uh, it was almost a sure thing to bet the GameStop stock would keep going down, but despite all the evidence and all the uh, certainty from short sellers, it skyrocketed. And for a few brief days, I think it literally went from like $5 to, I think it peaked at $4.69. Um, these short sellers lost, I don't even know how much money, billions of dollars. Their feelings didn't dictate reality. Um, they were certain it was going to go down. It didn't. And I wrote this lesson a little bit ago, but if you've been following, GameStop is actually back up. It's at like 200. Anyway. Um, similarly, uh, the non-Christian man who appears to have everything, so sold his business for millions of dollars, happy wife, happy kids, retired at 40, sailing on a yacht for the rest of his life, feels totally safe and secure. Uh, the reality is, the Bible says he's not sailing that yacht to the Bahamas, he's sailing it to hell. You should be concerned if you're not a Christian. You should be searching for a more objective standard than how you feel at any given moment. Your feelings are fickle, right? You need something more trustworthy than your feelings. So let me recommend and put forth what we talked about earlier, the sure word of God. If you remember John 17, 17, Jesus acknowledges that God's word is truth, and it's how Christians are sanctified. And it's proven true. So while everything else changes around us, the word of God has prophecies fulfilled over and over about who Jesus is and what he would do. Promises kept over and over for his people. This word is more sure than your feelings. So if you're not a Christian, you should investigate it. Um, there's a lot of claims that the Bible makes in the Old Testament that have come true directly in the New Testament. Uh, and that should freak you out a little bit if you're not a Christian. So let's move in and, and talk about us. So we believe this lie as well, right? Your feelings are reality. But as Christians, I'm going to put forth, like I said earlier, that uh, this should really comfort us, the fact that our feelings aren't reality. So if you're a Christian this morning and you're struggling with feeling abandoned or hopeless, uh, this fact should comfort you immensely. Everything might look terrible, might look like all hope is lost. You may feel like God doesn't care and nobody understands. But like we talked about already, you know your feelings are fickle. They change too often. And you know that the word of God is trustworthy if you're a Christian. And, okay, so I have, I have a few more uh, verses for, for folks to look up here. Can somebody look up Psalm 8, 4, and 5? Hopefully these are right this time. Thank you. Um, Philippians 1, 6. Thanks, Parker. And can you get uh, Romans 8, 18? So here are some things that the word of God says. Um, that we might have struggling, might have struggling, might have struggles to believe when we're kind of in the pits of despair. So, what does Psalm eight, four, and five say? So the Lord cares about us, right? That's what that verse says. Um, thank you, Philippians one six. Right, so you may feel hopeless, but God is going to complete the good work he began in you. Romans 8.18. So you might feel like underwater with suffering, but it's not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. 
So unlike your feelings, right, we already talked about this, this word has proven true. Jesus came, died, and rose according to prophecies in his word. He's poured out his spirit on you and regenerated your affections if you're a Christian, just like he promised he would in the Old Testament. We have no reason to doubt and every reason to believe that he's going to come again just like he said in his word. Are you struggling? This, we're just going to walk through a bunch of hard hitters here. Buckle up. Are you struggling with depression? Be comforted. Your feelings are not reality. God's word is truth. He will complete the good work he began in you, and your current suffering isn't worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's what we just read in Philippians 1.6 and Romans 8.18. Uh, are you struggling with loneliness? Be comforted. Your feelings are not reality. God's word is truth, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 is what says that. Are you struggling with assurance? Like, am I really a Christian? Be comforted. Your feelings are not reality. God's word is truth. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. Are you struggling with anxiety? Something that hit me really hard after I graduated. Goodness. Be comforted. Your feelings are not reality. God's word is truth, and he is our peace. Ephesians 2.14. So Christian, the point of this is this. Be comforted in Christ. His word has proven true. Your feelings have not. Although your feelings are good, they've been twisted by sin. So trust in God's word for your view of reality. is a much higher standard than your feelings. So um, I think it's worth meditating in conclusion, and this is a very long conclusion, so bear with me. I apologize. Um, I think it's worth meditating on a few case studies in Scripture of those who are confronted by truth and then what happened. Because there's basically two responses to being confronted uh, with the truth of the gospel. Either we humbly submit to it, that's the good option. I would recommend that. Or we seek to destroy it. And so let's just look at a few uh, case studies in Scripture um, and recognize that when people hear truth, sin is very blinding, right? It keeps them from wanting to see truth, from wanting to hear it. Um, and there's examples of this all over Scripture. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn with me to Acts 7, um, we're going to look at just a few verses out of here. Um, one moment. Water, H2O. It's amazing. All right, in Acts 7, Stephen gives this glorious sermon. I would recommend you read the whole thing. I don't think we necessarily have time to do that. Um, about, he gives this sermon about how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So he calls the people out on their sin for not recognizing this and not recognizing the prophets that came before him. Um, in verse 51 specifically, he says, these are pretty harsh words, pretty harsh truth. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Um, these people are confronted by a harsh truth, right? And in a way, this is exactly what we do when we share the gospel with non-Christians. We call people out on their sin. That's a harsh truth. Um, these people, what do they do? What's their response? If you know the story, they get enraged, do they have like a logical defense to him? Do they have anything to say in rebuttal? No, they literally plug their ears and yell and run at him to kill him. Um, so let's read verse 57 real quick. 
It says this about the crowd. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. So think about this image. These people are confronted with relatively plain truth of their guilt for ignoring the prophets and the truth of the gospel and who Christ is. And do they have an educated, mild-mannered response? No. They literally plug their ears and scream so they don't have to hear it anymore. And then they kill Stephen. This is like a sinner's response to the truth if they're not convicted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, And Christian, this is a good time to recognize this was our response to truth at one point. Um, Long before I was a Christian, I thought I was a Christian. Yet when I was confronted with the holiness of God and the seriousness of my sin, um, I, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it at all. I thought it applied to other people, but not to me. But the Spirit opened my eyes and ears. I heard the truth, and the truth was glorious because Christ took the penalty I deserved. So now I'm going to read just one more example here, uh, John 8, if you want to turn there with me. And I'm going to read verses 31 to 59. So bear with me, it's kind of long. There's also a lot in here, um, but let's just try to all focus on um, the truth that Jesus is confronting them with and then how they respond to that truth. Um, Because there's there's way more in here than we have time to go into but let's just look at uh, how these men respond to truth. All right, here we go, 31 to 59, John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You were of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Why do you, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered him, 
Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So, thank you for letting me just read like millions of verses of scripture to you. Let's summarize since there was a lot there. There's way more there than uh, we have time to go into. But with regard to being confronted with the truth, the Jews initially are hesitant to believe that Jesus can set them free. So they kind of use this religious culturalism to say like, hey, we've never been enslaved, Jesus. Haven't you heard of Abraham? That's our dad. See what they've done? They've, they've twisted and misinterpreted scripture. So they think that because they physically descended from Abraham, they're not enslaved to sin. This isn't true, and Jesus confronts them with that hard truth in verse 40. Then in verse 43, Jesus asks a question, and then he answers it. He says, why can't you understand what I say? He says, because they cannot bear to hear his word. It's too much for them. It shakes them to the core. It redefines their entire understanding of existence. He's telling them, your father isn't Abraham if you don't have faith like Abraham had. It's similar to today telling somebody like, hey, you're not a Christian just because you go to church. You have to repent and believe the gospel. Many people can't bear that. Uh, Then in verse 47, Jesus says that those who are of God can hear his words. So if you're a Christian here, rejoice that you can hear his words, uh, that he's made you a child and opened your ears to hear his word. That's something we take for granted. So they've twisted scripture against him and it didn't work. Then they're stumped. Next strategy, do they submit to the truth? No, then they call him demon-possessed. In verse 48 and 52, they're like, well, we don't want to believe this, so you must have a demon. That doesn't work. He stumps them again, and this time he says, I'm before Abraham, and this is the final straw for them. Then, they, then they're like, we're going to kill him. Um, and eventually we know they, people succeed in killing him, yet it was part of his plan all along. So we've talked about this briefly, but sinners in their sin, and us when we were in our sin, hate the truth of the gospel until God opens our eyes in our ears to hear it. So as Christians, we need to continue to preach this gospel. Uh, This truth is more glorious than lies that sinners have made up to justify themselves in their sin. So recognize that many will criticize you, maybe hate you, uh, maybe call you crazy. In, In many of the Bible passages, they might even try to harm you, right? We're coming to that day and age, maybe. Um, But this is all normal to Christians throughout history um, and a normal sinful reaction to truth. So it doesn't mean we can stop preaching the truth, preaching the gospel, because some will hear. Some will be humble and submit to a difficult yet glorious truth. So once you get over this difficult truth that you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, recognize all the things, all the benefits you get for just believing the truth. You're free to live in peace about your justification. You're reconciled to a holy God, justified before him. More than that, you're adopted as one of his children. Um, So he doesn't just like bring you to net net zero. He doesn't just cancel the debt. He actually adopts you as one of his kids. Um, More than that, as John Henderson said in an ABF a while back, when you die, death literally won't recognize you and will have to let you go. You will be raised. And even more than that, you will reign with Christ. This is all, like, 
Look at how much you gain from believing the truth, which isn't just my truth or your truth. It's the truth. Um, and this is a truth worth, it's just worth living and worth dying for. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Um, thank you that you convict and you humble us uh, that we might hear it. Lord, we pray that um, if there's any here who, who don't know you, uh, they would come to know you, that they'd repent of their sins and believe. Lord, we pray for the Christians in the room. We pray that we would um, submit to your word, that when it conflicts with what uh, we personally feel, we'd recognize that it's the authority and not us and submit to it. And we pray you'd give us um, hearts that are soft to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.